Welcome to Law Technology Now with host Monica Bay, Editor-in-Chief of Law Technology News. Hear the latest about technology for the legal community. If it's tech, it's a topic right here. Good day. I'm Monica Bay. I'm Editor-in-Chief of Law Technology News, and we have a terrific May program for you today. My guests today are Melissa Krasno and Nick Ackerman, both of Dorsey and Whitney. And we're going to talk about uh, our cover topic of the issue, which is compliance, and particularly in terms of some of the implications of keeping personal data private. Uh, our cover story was written by my colleague, Sean Doherty, who is the tech editor of Law.com, and it's called Keep It Private. It can be found at www.lawtechnews.com. And also in that same issue, our May issue, is a terrific article that first ran in the National Law Journal, and they were kind enough to share it with us on protecting privacy, and it was written by today's guests. Before we start the discussion, I want to remind you that you can find us in three places. We are at the www.lawtechnologynow.com site. We are at the site of our wonderful producers, www.legaltalknetwork.com. And it always tickles me because I think I'm in the same company as whoever ever it was that just won American Idol. Uh, we're on iTunes, which just always makes me laugh. Um, I want to start by having our two guests introduce themselves. We'll go ladies first. Melissa Krasno, tell us a little bit about yourself and your practice area. I'm a corporate securities and privacy lawyer. My practice really focuses on governance and compliance work. I do a lot of work with clients on developing and implementing programs to protect personal information. This could include website privacy policies and record retention policies. I also work on investigations and disclosures, if necessary, of data breaches. And I also advise clients on privacy law considerations and commercial transactions and mergers and acquisitions. And do I recall correctly that you are a partner in Dorsey's Minneapolis office? That is correct. Terrific. I love Minnesota. Spent five years at the University of Minnesota. Our second guest is based here in New York with the same firm, Dorsey and Whitney. And Nick Ackerman, tell our listeners a little bit about your practice area. Thank you, Monica. I'm a trial lawyer, not a corporate lawyer um, like Melissa. Uh, and I am a former federal prosecutor. I was with the U.S. Attorney's Office in the Southern District of New York and was a former assistant special Watergate prosecutor with Archibald Cox and Leon Jaworski. Uh, part of my practice is involved in the protection of data, uh, whether uh, advising clients on how to go about setting up compliance systems um, and protocols to protect data. Uh, and in many instances, I actually play the role of corporate prosecutor going after uh, individuals who steal data uh, and go into court on a pretty frequent basis uh, using the Computer Fraud and Abuse Act to um, retrieve stolen data and prevent its dissemination in the workplace. Well, I can see that you both have fascinating practices and why you two wrote the article together. Again, the article is from our May issue. It's called Protecting Privacy. And you two wrote about three states that have passed new laws that you told our readers really reach beyond the state borders. So would one of you like to uh, start first by telling us a little bit about which states they were and, and give us a summary of these three new important laws? I'll start by... Um 
talking about one of the first laws. It was in Nevada. It's sort of the first encryption law, and it says that if you are a business in Nevada, you've got to encrypt customer personal information that you transfer electronically outside your business, except for faxes. Some companies were already encrypting personal information. It wasn't widespread, but this made it a legal requirement, and it was the first such law. Massachusetts then followed and had within its law encryption requirements, so there are now two state laws which require some form of encryption. I'll address Connecticut, and then I'll turn it over to Nick uh, to speak about Massachusetts. Connecticut law talks about document destruction, um, data destruction. It also stands for protecting social security numbers. There are 30 state laws, uh, many people don't realize this, which focus on permitted and prohibited uses of social security numbers. Three of those state laws require companies to have social security number policies. I've worked with clients on this. This is an emerging area of law, but surprisingly, not as much attention has been paid to these laws, but they are very important. And Melissa, is the primary risk here Identity theft, is that the the driving force on the states passing these laws? Exactly. Um, in recent years, you've heard a lot of, a, a lot of, and you may have also been the recipient, unfortunately, of a data breach notice. You receive a notice in a mail from an educational institution, a company you've done business with, saying that your data might have been breached or subject to breach. Consumers are very upset about this. Uh, they're very much focused on the risk of identity theft. In turn, um, they have spurred this great state legislative process passing these various laws, um, the goal of which is to protect them from having breaches or protect them from suffering identity theft. And you are absolutely right. I have had multiple copies of those letters and have also experienced something I think a lot of us have where one of our credit cards companies will call us and say, say, we think, I love this, we think your card has been compromised. That word is enough to send chills. I was actually uh, fairly impressed that uh, when I got that call about my Diners Club card being compromised, that I had my new card with a new number 12 hours later, as well as a new American Express card when Diners Club said I might want to call them too. <laughs> Um, Nick, let me turn to you now, please, and tell us a little bit about what's going on in Connecticut. Well, um, let me just say as a general matter, just to step back from this, I mean, we were talking before about these notification laws of which there are 44 uh, states that have these laws. Uh, what these three new statutes do with Nevada, uh, Connecticut, and Massachusetts is really now uh, put affirmative obligations on businesses to actually protect data in the first instance. Uh, the notification laws were really, in a sense, reactive uh, statutes. That is, if you had reason to believe there was a breach, you had to notify uh, consumers or employees that their personal information uh, had been stolen and, and might be used to perpetrate identity theft. Uh, what's different now is that uh, the states um, now seem to be uh, starting a trend to actually put the affirmative obligations on businesses in the first instance. Uh, Nevada with the requirement for encryption to transmit data, uh, Connecticut with the emphasis on Social Security numbers requiring businesses you know, basically to create a privacy protection policy uh, that needs to be published on the web and to protect the confidentiality of and prohibit you know, unlawful disclosure and limit access to Social Security numbers, which is a big uh, emphasis. Uh, the 
major law here, though, is Massachusetts, uh, which is really requiring companies uh, to establish a full-blown uh, compliance program that comports with the seven steps outlined by the federal sentencing guidelines, uh, which has become the gold standard for compliance in this country. Uh, so not only do they have to encrypt, uh, but they have to go through all of the steps, meaning developing security policies, uh, appointing a high-level security coordinator, uh, minimizing risk with third parties that might be out there that pose particular risks uh, to data. Uh, they've got to train the workforce. They've got to conduct regular audits of the program. Uh, they have to make sure that these policies aren't just something that sit in the desk but have to be enforced. Uh, and they have to respond to incidents um, with uh, real consequences, um, actually encouraging employees to report violations um, and taking responsive uh, and remedial action when necessary. Nick, what's the most challenging of these seven new requirements? Um, I, I think it's it's kind of the, the combination. I mean, part of the problem is that a lot of small businesses in Massachusetts are complaining um, that they're being required to, to really kind of set up a, a huge program. Um, and with the economic situation being such as it is, um, that there's a lot of uh, grousing going on about this right now. Um, so the companies are too small and they feel they don't, don't have the resources to support these sorts of programs? I, I think that's part of it. I mean, the, the Massachusetts law, like the federal sentencing guidelines, basically says that companies can, you know, make the program fit the needs of their company. Uh, so it, it's not a cookie cutter situation where one size fits all. Um, but again, I, I think a lot of small businesses view this as a um, certain amount of government regulation that is going to you know, take time and money to respond to. Now, in the article, particularly on the first uh, component of developing security policies, you outlined quite a few specific points. Would one of you like to go over some of the components of developing the security policies? Sure. This is Melissa. Um, let me highlight two, which I'm working with clients now on, and they're finding particularly onerous. Um, first of all is the encryption requirement. Um, you have to encrypt Massachusetts residents' personal information that's stored on all laptops or other portable devices, and any records or files containing Massachusetts resident personal information that will be transmitted across public networks or wirelessly have to be encrypted, that's the legal requirement. Implementing the legal requirement on a practical level is proving really amazingly difficult. So much of our life is on portable devices, USB drives, um, and for a company to keep track of that is incredible, and then further to make sure it's encrypted. And that's got to be, the encryption requirement has to also be part of the policy. So companies are trying to inventory what they have. I don't know if they'll actually be able to realistically do it. They're making, I think, good broad-based attempts, but that's one of the more onerous aspects of these programs. Now, why would a small company be having social security numbers? Um, aren't those something that we've all been trained fairly heavily to avoid giving? Well, let me just say this. I mean, if you're a small company, you really, just, just to report tax information, you have to have uh, an employee's Social Security number. Uh, I don't think there's any real way to avoid that. I mean, the healthcare companies have tried to avoid it by giving special numbers to people. Um, but the bottom line is, in order to do business in this country, you absolutely uh, have to have Social Security numbers. 
a lot of the Social Security number data resides actually in the form of job applicants or employees. You probably, as Nick mentioned, for tax ID purposes, and people really focus on the consumer aspect of it, whether or not you're required to give your number as a consumer, but there is an amazing amount of uh, Social Security number and other personal information that will reside in a company's HR department. So, Melissa, is this addressing more employees of a small business rather than the customers who are purchasing the products and services of a small business? It addresses both, and so both must be heeded. The definition under the Massachusetts regulation is simply personal information, and it doesn't distinguish between whether it's an employee or whether it's a customer. Uh, The real key here is information that can be used to perpetrate identity theft. That's what is the object of what needs to be protected here. Uh, Anything that can be used to access somebody's bank account um, or use somebody's credit card or in any way deplete their finances, that is really what all of these laws are aimed at. We're talking with Melissa Krasno and Nick Ackerman, both of Dorsey and Whitney. Melissa's in Minneapolis and Nick is in New York. You're listening to Law Technology Now. And we're going to take a quick break and have a word for our sponsor. And then we will be back to talk about what your company or your firm can do to protect identities and comply with these new laws. Legal Talk Network has been producing award-winning legal podcasts since 2005. Subscribe to our RSS feed and start downloading today. It's free. Don't miss out on Web 2.0. Call us today at the Legal Talk Network to learn about new media marketing opportunities for your firm. 781-551-9960. Hi, we are back, and you're listening to Law Technology Now. We have two fantastic guests today. They are both partners at Dorsey & Whitney. Melissa Krasno is in the Minneapolis office, and Nick Ackerman here in New York, where we are taping Law Technology Now today. And we've been talking about the story protecting privacy that is in the May issue of Law Technology News and also was in the National Law Journal. Obviously, we both thought it was a fantastic article and that you would want to know about it. And the focus of the article are three states that have passed new laws to protect consumer privacy about electronic uh, transmittal of, of personal data and the ramifications. Can you tell us what We've been talking about how the uh, companies can comply with these new regulations and some of the challenges, but what in your roles as advisors and lawyers would you recommend be the strategies and perhaps the place to start for these companies? What are the key things they need to do? Melissa, you want to take the first shot at that? Um, I think it's for the entity to realize, this will sound funny, for the entity to realize that it is subject to these laws. Um, This is a trend of state laws which could apply beyond state boundaries. Massachusetts is really the most onerous example. If you are a company, say, in Minnesota or in New York, and you happen to possess the personal information of a Massachusetts resident, presumably you're covered by this. So a lot of companies that aren't regulated by a different regulator are kind of surprised that they have to comply. So I think the first level is awareness. And then the second level is working with an attorney or adding the company examining what the specific requirements are. 
there isn't such a one-size-fits-all policy. It really will need to be tailored to the individual circumstances of the company. Massachusetts is also very unique. It says you have to have a written policy. It is very particular about what the policy must contain. Um, Other laws are drafted in a broader way, which enable the company to uh, be more flexible in how it complies. This is really specific. So I work with clients and focusing on the specific legal requirements. And then we develop strategies and approaches how they realistically can comply um, within the confines of their company with these requirements. Um, and we're in, we're in the beginning processes. I'd say some companies are aware, others are not. They, are, they will become increasingly aware as the compliance deadline of January 1st, 2010 approaches. And Nick, uh, you and Melissa in your article suggest that these three new laws may be the start of a trend that you say away from passive uh, regulation by the states to protect individual information and to go to stricter uh, requirements when they are breached. Um, what do you see going forward are going to be increasing trends in terms of the regulation end of this? Well, I, I think one of the, the obvious trends here is this encryption issue. Um, it's required now by the Massachusetts statute. It's required uh, by the Nevada law. Um, there are laws pending in other jurisdictions now in Michigan uh, and Washington. There are laws requiring businesses to encrypt stored personal data. Um, In fact, under the Michigan bill, it would be a misdemeanor with a 30-day maximum prison sentence and a $1,000 fine um, if you do not uh, encrypt and and follow the statute. Uh, And just recently, um, under the uh, 2009 stimulus package that was passed by Congress, uh, the High Tech Act in in the arena of health care with HIPAA uh, is going to require health care providers, hospitals, and others um, to encrypt data. Uh, and what's really interesting here is that they're all requiring um, companies to encrypt at, at the, really the key, the standard, the, the state of art at the time that they do it. So what they're asking companies to do is really keep abreast of, of, of encryption and to use what is the state of the art, all of which is a, a moving target. What's the state of art last week may not be the state of art next week. Um, so I think this is one area that I think people have to keep their, you know, their eyes on. Now, we just have a few more minutes, and uh, I'm going to give each of you a final question, which is, what do you think is the number one most important piece of advice you would give to a company that knocked on your door and wanted help today? Let's start with you, Melissa. I guess that would be good that they knocked on my door and asked to figure out how to comply with this. Um, I guess the the most um one of the most difficult aspects of this program, which I'd ask them to examine, would be how they would be working with their third-party service providers uh, to determine whether they're capable of protecting personal information, and then working also um, with their IT department um, internally to determine whether they could satisfy the various security system requirements under the Massachusetts law. And Nick, how about you? Yeah, I think one of the most important things for companies to look at right now is in terms of their overall data protection. It's not just uh, an issue relating to personal data uh, that can be used to perpetrate identity theft. Uh, We have a major problem out there now with competitively sensitive data being stolen from companies uh, with the economic uh, crisis and recession and with layoffs. 
Um, we're finding now that uh, many employees who are leaving uh, are taking data with them uh, in order to uh, you know, increase their chances of being hired uh, by competitors uh, or to start their own businesses. Uh, and it seems to me that if you're going to get into a data protection program, you really have to look at it as a comprehensive data protection program that includes both the personal information uh, and the competitively sensitive information, uh, because for not much extra cost, you can really protect yourself uh, and protect your business uh, by putting in place one of these programs. In fact, we just recently, in, in uh, believe it was our April issue, had an article on exactly that a concern called Watch the Door, where we discussed uh, how with all the layoffs and the restructuring of companies, that if you're not careful, it's very, very easy for important information to go either get accidentally destroyed when it's subject to a legal hold or walk out the door, as you suggested, with, with someone who could make good use of it. Boy, we could have spent three hours, if not more, on this topic. You guys are absolutely terrific. I want to thank our two guests. We've been speaking with Melissa Krasno and with Nick Ackerman, both partners at Dorsey and Whitney. And this has been Law Technology Now. A few thank yous and a few housekeepings before we close. I want to remind you that you can hear this on three places. Uh, www.lawtechnologynow.com or from the Legal Talk Network, which is www.legaltalknetwork.com, the iTunes podcast library. Special thanks, as always, go out to Law.com's Jill Winwer and David Jasper, and from Legal Talk Network, Luann Reeb, Scott Hess, Mike Hockman, and Kate Kenny. This is Monica Bay, and you've been listening to Law Technology Now. Law Technology Now is produced by the broadcast professionals at the Legal Talk Network. Thanks for listening. Join Monica Bay for next month's podcast on the technology issues affecting the legal profession today.